What is going on and welcome to the Power of Progression podcast. I'm your host, John Marone. Thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. And please do not forget to like, subscribe, follow the podcast, write a review, and then share it out to anybody who can take the value from today's episode and put it into their life. But now it is time to help you design the life you've always wanted to live, creating the ultimate version of yourself, and jump into the episode. So let's get it popping. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Power of Progression. On today's podcast, I have an amazing power couple, and they're here to drop massive, massive amount of value for you. Their names are Cole and Sonia Hatter. As a young kid, Cole always wanted to make a difference, so he became a firefighter. But shortly after, he was in a bad accident where he was forced to a wheelchair for two months, and unfortunately, one of his best friends lost his life. Now, months later, after you know, maybe 60, 70 days, you'll find out soon. He went ahead and he actually went on another trip because his other best friend were yesterday. Cole and Sonia, what is going on, guys? How you doing? Hey. What's up, man? Dude, what an intro. I was just going to say, man, you you did, first of all, you said her name right. So I was like, all right, he's done some homework. But then, <laughs> but then you went through the whole deal and I was like, geez, she knows about the immigration from Serbia. You didn't, I don't know. You didn't say which website I found her on though, but uh, <laughs> that's, that, so that's for the, 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 you know, as we get deeper into the conversation, we'll find out. Right <laughs> but well done in that intro, dude, you know, you did your homework. So uh, we're excited to be here um, and let's go. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you guys. You know, obviously there's little technical difficulties, uh, but you know, as, as we are entrepreneurs and we are business owners, we know that's actually normal in life, right? So we <laughs> <laughs> just figure the shit out, you know what I mean? Be resourceful. So once again, I appreciate you guys jumping on here. I'm excited to have you guys on. Um, and, and you guys are the power couple. You, know, you guys are doing big things. But let's kind of rewind, guys. And, and um, Cole, we'll kind of start with you. And then, Sonia, we'll get into your story. Um, tell a little bit about that day that you decided to become a firefighter. I want to go before the accident. Like, why did you decide firefighter, right, versus any other occupation? Sure. So it was probably around 13, 14 years old. And with all my years of wisdom, uh, I, for the first time, started wondering what career might make sense for me going forward. I knew that I could never sit at a desk or do uh, like, you know, in an office in a cube somewhere. And so I reflected back and again on all my years of wisdom. And the funnest moments I'd had is when my parents would take me on missions trip with the church. I grew up in the church in a faith based community. And uh, I was just like, man, it was always fun. I lived two hours north of the Mexican border. So very common. My parents and I would go down for like a day trip to Tijuana and work with homeless kids or whatever it was. And I was like, man, that was cool. I wonder if I could find a career where I just get paid to help people like that instead of volunteering on the weekend with the church. That was just my job. And so I thought about, you know, being a police officer. I thought about joining our military. Again, careers where I saw uh, impacting people's lives and serving others as a profession. And then uh, found firefighting and said, there we go. If I can save lives, play with fire and get paid for it. That sounds good to me. And then obviously, as I looked into it and realized that you've got an incredible flexible schedule and you get two or three shifts covered, you can have three and a half weeks off straight. I was like, all right, that's what I'm talking about. And so I started pursuing that career in high school while still taking high school classes. I would take evening and weekend classes at a local junior college so that when I graduated high school, I'd already knocked out a bunch of the prerequisite classes to get into my academy, graduated high school, went right into the academy and boom, the rest is, as they say, history was living my dream as a firefighter. And then as you mentioned in the intro, uh, life pointed me in a different direction. Yeah, and, and you talked about being a firefighter, you know, take some extra days off, obviously dealing with fire. It's almost the same as being a business owner, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's very, totally. So, you know, I joke and say that all the time, I'm still a firefighter. I just put out different types of fires. Yep, yep. And, and you're still saving lives, brother. So, you know, it's just a different, different, uh, you know, industry, but we appreciate you in, in this industry. So Thanks. you obviously decided to become a firefighter. And as I said, two months into it, um, you decided to go to where was it again? There's, there's a trip that you and your best friends decided to take, right? Yeah, we went to Vegas. Um, so yeah, I was a firefighter two years into that. Uh, we had all just turned 21, me and my two best friends. So we said, let's go to Vegas. We can uh, you know, finally legally drink there. Not that we hadn't ever had alcohol before, but this time we don't have to be looking over our shoulders or hoping the bouncer doesn't catch us. So, uh, so we're like, let's go out to Vegas to, to do the 21 year old thing, have fun boys trip. Uh, and, uh, we didn't make it. Mm. And it took you 
how long to really kind of cope with that? Because I think a lot of people listening right now, they have something tragic happen in their life and it's hard for them to get out of that mindset of this was my fault. I could have done something differently. And I think where you're coming from, you know, maybe you can give them some insight on how to think differently towards a tragic incident that happened in their life. Yeah. So I'm still coping with these and how long it's been 14 years and it, you know, it's still stuff I think about regularly. Uh, but, um, I had tremendous grief, uh, but even worse, guilt. I was not the driver in the car accident. I don't know how much harder it would have been if I was the actual driver and, uh, you know, uh, Steve passed. Um, he actually was driving himself, but uh, I had grief of losing my two best friends, but then guilt with those two accidents you talked about that I was the only one that survived. Steve, Matt, and I got in the car accident. Only Matt and I survived. Matt and I fell in the mine shaft. Only I survived. And so there was this weird feeling of, I keep almost dying and my most close friends are dying and I'm not. So uh, the way that I just coped with it was about 30 days later, I turned the corner, um, you know, and I'm public about this, but in the car accident, I was prescribed morphine pills because I was in really bad pain. And as the pain went away, I still had bottles of the stuff. So I would take, I was supposed to take like one pill an hour with pain. I would take like three or four at once, not to try to overdose, but I just didn't want to be alive. I was like playing with that line, if that makes sense. I wasn't suicidal. I just wasn't wanting to live. There's some weird spot in between, I guess. And, uh, and I would drink hard alcohol with it too, which you're not supposed to mix alcohol and morphine. So I would just fall asleep at like four o'clock in the afternoon. I wouldn't wake up till like 11 a.m. the next day. And I did that for a month and I remember it vividly. It was December 18th. So the first accident with Steve was September 10th. The accident with Matt was November 14th. And then on December 18th, so about 30 days after Steve, about 90 days, sorry, 30 days after Matt, about 90 days after Steve, uh, I realized that I would probably take one pill too many and drink one ounce of alcohol too much, fall asleep and never wake up. And, you know, if Steve and Matt had been given a chance to live, they would have taken it for whatever reason. I was given a life, a chance to live and I was throwing my life away. And that was so convicting that uh, I was playing the victim and feeling sorry for myself which was essentially spitting in their faces because they weren't given a chance to live. They lost their lives and I was for whatever reason. So it was in that moment I made a decision. It wasn't like over time. It's just like I remember it as clear and boom, it was like flipping a light switch. I'm done being a victim and I'm going to use these crappy circumstances to create really great things. And, uh, and you know, fast forward 14 years, it has evolved into a lot of things. Uh, the fact that I have a wife and children after losing Stephen Matt, I was unhealthy and I assumed that everyone I loved would die. So even when Sonny and I started dating, I told her I'll never marry you or anybody because everyone I love either leaves or dies. Um, and so just coping with the depression and getting through it all, uh, where I am today uh, is a fraction of what I want to create, but it's on the road of living a life that matters to honor them. So uh, again, for the audience to give them actionable takeaways, we have to come to a point where we realize feeling sorry for ourselves does two things. Number one, uh, it takes away control because if you're a victim and it's always someone else's fault, like, oh, my business doesn't work, it's Trump's fault, or oh, my house went into foreclosure, it's the bank's fault, and all this stuff that I hear, by being a victim, you have no control because if it really is Trump's fault, then it doesn't matter what business you start, you're going to get screwed. And if it really was the bank's fault, then it really doesn't matter if you ever buy a home again, it's going to be the bank's fault. But as soon as you say, hey, whatever the problem is, these circumstances are unfortunate, but I made the decision to buy a home I couldn't afford or whatever it was. And so then it gives you the power back to make new decisions going forward. So I think playing a victim is really scary because then you're a victim forever and you have no control. But by taking responsibility and saying, hey, as much as it sucks, I bit off more than I can chew. Now I've learned a lesson and can make new decisions going forward. It empowers you to have control of your life. And so uh, that's the first problem of being a victim. The second problem of being a victim um, is you typically are making poor decisions. Like for me, I was a victim, so I took pills and drank alcohol. Uh, very few people with a victim mentality do positive things with what it is that they're a victim in. That makes sense. And I don't mean so, for anybody out there who's dealing with really sad life scenarios to take away from the severity of a divorce or a death. You know, you might have lost a child or a, a spouse. Um, we were just talking with our friend last night. Uh, she has a friend whose husband and dog were killed in a car accident instantly. So she lost her husband and dog, right? In one accident in a split second. And so it's like, you know, these things suck. And I'm certainly not taking away from the tragedy that happens in our lives. But if that woman, for instance, was to play victim and do drugs, 
how sad it would be for her husband versus in his name and in his honor, pushing herself and doing amazing things with her life. And so all that being said is uh, that that's the takeaway for you guys is they're listening to this is I realized in that moment I was spitting in their faces and then I had to stop being a victim and use the sadness as a motivator to do good. Man, that is, it, it's, it hits home with everything I talk about brother, because you know, come where I come from, I was a big victim, you know, coming from an addiction family. I had an addiction, you know, jail time. And really it wasn't almost ODing. It wasn't all the bad decisions sitting in jail that made me make the shift. It was almost dying during hurricane Sandy, right? We're stuck in the attic and all my listeners and viewers know it was in that moment. I decided to truly live my life with impact. And I always tell people, stop waiting for that that scare of almost dying, right? That scare of almost dying or losing somebody to make the change in your life. And I love that action step you told them of like, evaluate, like, are you being a victim or are you using this as this pain as power, right? And I, I don't think a lot of people understand the victim mentality, how bad it's affecting them because that's super vulnerable. And I think you guys would both agree. Like when you're the victim, you realize that you are the self-sabotaging person in your life. It's nobody else. It's not the things that happen around you. So, um, you know, the, the, the victim mentality thing, I definitely, definitely relate to that. Now I'm going to jump off you for a second. We're going to talk to the better half because I know personally that behind every great man, there's a better woman. So Sonia, tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up immigrant coming in, you know, and, and I do know that you guys um, knew each other before you guys started dating, um, when he was probably, um, crazy as, as ever. Um, and, and, uh, you know, that's how we are in high school. Right. So tell us a little bit about your life. Um, I am a daughter of, well, my mom and my dad both just worked nonstop. They had two jobs. My dad, my mom had two jobs. My dad had two jobs. Um, he went to night school. So I've just always seen the hard work that it takes, um, immigrating here. So we came, they came here with nothing. And I've just seen this work ethic, unlike any other, that I've seen, like, I just, I, I know watching them that I could do anything. And so I just, Cole always says, I just put my mind to it and I'm just going to make it happen. And so I had multiple jobs as well. Um, while going to school, I had 18 credits um, and I got my degree in criminal justice and I worked at the police department in Laguna Beach. I worked homicide. I loved watching CSI and Dexter and all those shows. And I was like, I'm going to figure out all this. Watch stuff. out, Cole. <laughs> watch out, brother. She knows way too much, man. She could hide it very easily. I know, yeah. She could, she could, my body would go missing. We never know. She knows oh, yeah. all the Just yeah. like that. <laughs> and so I did that for a while. And, um, and then it just was not for me, I realized. And, uh, then I reconnected with this guy. I did know him in high school. Um, I didn't talk to him. He was the punk kid football player. Oh, and I the was punk. the smart, I was the smart one that his friends copied the homework off of. And um, I, I stayed away from him. He tried talking to me, but I was like, mm, this guy's a troublemaker. And he like, <laughs> it's so funny because I wasn't even getting in very much trouble, like normal trouble. Very much. But do you hear no, some? Like, I got in no trouble. Just because you didn't get caught doesn't mean you weren't causing havoc, brother. Dude, I got caught for everything. That's just it. Like I, I never did anything, so I didn't get caught. See? So that's, <laughs> that's my point. But anyway, so then um, I worked at the police department, and I worked at a sushi restaurant, and this guy came in and did her the pleasure of having her give me her phone number, and his, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, we could say that. But yeah, so, so why did you decide to give a chance now, though? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, she gave me a because, chance for the last 10 years, bro. I locked it down. <laughs> Let, because uh, the reason why I'm telling you that is because when my wife met me, we didn't live in the same um, area that she like 20 minutes from me, but she always says like, if I knew you in high school, you'd be the guy I stay away from. Like you would be the person I say, cause you were too much trouble. And I'd probably hate you honestly, because that's just, you know, the kind of person you were. And I agree. I'm glad she didn't know me in high school. Cause she might look at me totally differently now, yeah. but why did you just say, you know what, I'm going to give this, this guy a chance. You see change in him or you're just like, no, I just thought maybe I'll just give him my phone number and he won't call me. I was just like, whatever. He was persistent. And then, um, the next day he called and then the next day he showed up at my work again. And then he called me again. And I was like, man, it's called, it's called a follow-up. If you want to close. <laughs> yeah. So I was that's like, why All right, keep sales. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I should have known then that his, yeah, he's very persistent. So I was like, all right, what's, what's the, 
worst that could happen. And then uh, we went out and I can't get rid of them. <laughs> well, I think you're stuck with them for a while now. So <laughs> let, 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 let's talk about the lifestyle now, right? I mean, two totally different lifestyles. You guys were growing up and you guys finally decided to make one lifestyle. So I think the most important four hours of our day are two when we wake up and two before we go to sleep. I think that that is probably the most important four hours. And I've seen some Instagram stuff with you guys. And I know a part of your morning routine and I absolutely love it um, and falls into the family equity. And, and, and I appreciate it. And, and I absolutely, um, I look at that and I respect it. But tell my audience what you guys do. Because you guys run multiple different businesses, right? And like different platforms or, or at least pillars of revenue. And people don't have enough time to do these certain things. And, and I think you become, you know, a product of your rituals. What do you guys do the first two hours of your you know, morning and first two before you go to bed? Well, me you go, you. Yeah. Okay. So and before this ends, I want to circle back to what Sonia said, because she said some gold there that I think we skipped over. But uh, first two hours. So our little girls have FOMO, fear of missing out. So the second this guy is the hint of gray, they're up and ready to party. As much as we would love children that sleep and our friends are like, Man, my kids, I got to go wake them up at 9 a.m. We're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> that would be nice. But so, yeah, as soon as it's great, they wake up. And so we don't necessarily want to start our days yet. So we do like family cuddle time, we call it, where we have a massive bed. And um, the largest European king. Yeah, this it's bigger guy than wants Everyone in it. Yeah, you could fit. I mean, back to your party days, bro. You could, you could have like yeah. 10 humans in there. <laughs> you do, you know, which humans you invite. You, you know, you use your imagination. So... So, Maybe 12 if you get creative. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I wake up with three ladies, my wife and my two daughters. And so we're all doing a big cuddle sesh. And uh, depending on the, if it's a school day or a weekend, obviously that lasts longer or shorter. But then uh, once we just hung out, like we're awake and we're all talking and, um, you know, the girls want us to rub their backs and stuff. It's just family time uninterrupted. We're not touching our cell phones yet. The world hasn't started yet. It's just family time. Um, then we get ready for school and the four of us drop my one or my sorry my six-year-old off always so my wife myself our three-year-old and the six-year-old we go to school and we drop her off and pick her up every day uh, so that's non-negotiable a whole family the little three-year-olds out the window bye white in right um, and then I come home I'm home at 755 after that and then uh, we hit the gym the two of us two, eight to nine is our workout time uh, because our employees start arriving between 9 and 930 then we have a company meeting on Mondays, a team huddle every other day, which is super important to make sure everybody's congruent on the right page. So a big meeting on Monday with our intention of the week to make sure that we are productive. And then every other day is a 10 minute team huddle. And then after that team meeting or team huddle, every day is different. But five days a week, Monday through Friday on school days, that's the exact routine. Then Saturday, Sundays, a little bit later in the bed, uh, Sundays we go to church. Uh, so that that's in there. But um, that's it. And then as far as the last two hours, uh, I don't really think we have a routine there. It just depends. We usually go in the movie room. Yeah. So we have, a, we have our own movie theater. Uh, she told me when we were dating that she always dreamed of having a home with a movie theater in it. So she got one. Boom. But uh, so a lot two. of- Yeah, that's three. true. Yeah, our last house had one too. So yeah, so we go in the movie room a lot because that's like our really only alone time. Um, we bought a new home and we shut down our office and moved our company here because we have an attached 750 square foot office to our house. So we're never alone. Uh, from the moment we wake up, we've got our daughters uh, to the moment our, you know, then we have employees here all day long. Uh, when people want to meet with me, I make them drive to my house and meet here. So the very first time of every day that it's just she and I without children or employees is about nine o'clock. So then, it, you know, it's sometimes it's catching up on just life. Sometimes it's going on a date where she'll make us a couple of like Moscow mules, her old bartending days coming through and we'll come up and watch a movie in our movie theater, which I think is the plan tonight. Um, and, or whatever, you know, it's just, it's just us. And then usually in sleep by 11 up the next day, five 30. I love it. So you mentioned team huddles, brother. Um, uh, there's a, a different way there's like 10, 12 different ways. If you Google team huddles, and I think people struggle with this on how to make their team as productive as possible. So what do you do for your team huddle that you found to be the most productive, most effective and efficient? We, yeah, I'll start it. So as soon as we sit down, all of our employees, we all talk about what we're grateful for. So we have our gratitude exercise and it's just, it's a great way to start the day and realize what we're grateful for. And that's a shout out to our friend, Chris Harder. Mm -hmm. He, he does that at his company. He's like, try that and it will change your lives. So he came, he came home from and said, let's do this. And we implemented it right away. And it's, I just, I love that part. And then 
we have our to-do list where we go down, we're like, what's the most important thing? What do we have to get done today? What do we have to get done this week? And I love my whiteboard. I love being able to cross out stuff. I was just staring stuff. at it. It's right yeah. there. I that love having little- <laughs> Every time she walks around with that thing under her arm, it's like, I'm going to get yelled at. That thing right there gives me anxiety. I have extreme satisfaction on like crossing out stuff. He'll just be like, oh, put it in the calendar. Or it's just like, I, no, I have to cross it out. I know it's done. I love being old school with a paper and a pen. I just, I have it everywhere we go. I'm like, all right, here's the list. What do we got to do? Just like my wife. Yeah, <laughs> she's got a notebook for a notebook. She's got, I mean, notes everywhere. It's, it's insane. Pen to paper. She doesn't even know what a Gmail calendar is. I don't think, honestly. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I know what it is, mind. but I don't like it. Yep. Yeah. Unless she's putting something in mind. And yeah, so you, exactly. You talked about gratitude and Chris was on, my ep- was on one of my episodes and I'm a big believer in gratitude. And I used to say gratitude five minutes or five things in the morning. And he said something that blew me away. He talks about waking up on the wrong side of the bed. And he's like, you have the opportunity to choose your thought pattern that brings you momentum, right? For the rest of the day. He's like, so while in the first two minutes, he's speaking gratitude. So that was a game changer, little nugget that he dropped on my show. And I was, I've been using it ever since. So I'm a big, yeah, big believer in that. Do you guys have um, a morning session where you ask your kids what they're grateful for? Or is it just your employees? So the three-year-old just turned three two weekends ago. So she's still a little bit young, but we do ask Brighton, uh, not daily. I think maybe we should, but we, we do include her a lot um, on days where she has a late start or just doesn't have it, uh, have school that day and our employees are doing it. And then even randomly, we'll say like, what are you grateful for right now? We were all just going to Vegas uh, two weeks ago and we had two of our employees in our car with us, plus our daughters. And Sonny remembered, she's like, we didn't do our team meeting, so let's do it on the road. And so uh, she was driving, I was in the passenger seat, uh, our employees were in the back, and uh, everyone did the gratitude exercise, and I just turned and looked at Brent, and I was like, what are you grateful for, sweetheart? And she rattles it off. So it is kind of cool to, um, you know, a lot of times she'll just give us like, I'm grateful for food. And we're like, <laughs> okay, thanks. But there's sometimes where she'll say something that really makes us all go like, oh. She'll like, be like, I'm grateful for, like she said, our employees. Like yeah. if she doesn't call them employees, but she's like, I'm grateful for TT. And it's like, I love that she loves being around everyone that we're surrounded by. Yeah. It's her, it's a part of her lifestyle now. So yeah. that's, that's awesome. Now, Cole, you said you wanted to bring back something that Sonia yeah, said that was nuggets. So let, let, let's talk about that. Totally. So to put a bow on the gratitude exercise, cause I know that it's about actional takeaways for your audience. Uh, dude, practicing gratitude changed my life. It sounds hippie ish, right? Like, I'm not woo-woo, I'm tactical. When someone gets on stage and is like, look within and find your inner truth, I just want to slap those people because it's meaningless conversation. You're just wasting everyone's time. So when I hear gratitude exercise, I imagine somebody with like crystals on their neck, a bunch of bracelets, still high on ayahuasca that are just like searching on this spiritual journey. So I kind of avoided it because I thought it was too woo-woo for me. And that's no judgment for anybody listening to this currently with crystals on their neck, still recovering from their ayahuasca. <laughs> I don't know if that many people listening are going to have it. There might be one though. Okay, cool. But so that being said, uh, when you make your brain look for things to be grateful for, it changes your perspective on the world. This is out of Tony Robbins. He talks about the RAS, the reticulative activating system. And basically what you look for, you find. And so if you're a chronically negative person uh, and you're only looking for the wrong and everything, the world is a pretty sad place. But when, and and that's a lot of the ways, because sometimes I get beat up in business and that's the mindset I get in where I'll have like eight or nine things all go wrong. And I'm just like, screw this and screw that. And you're late. And, and then I'm just in a negative mindset where all I'm seeing is a negative. And a lot of times she'll kick me in the nuts metaphorically and sometimes physically <laughs> um, to, to like be like, stop it, dude. You're, you know, you're, you're negative. Um, but just like Chris, again, shout out to Chris. Like when you are searching and I encourage everyone to do this because you know, your audience is a bunch of entrepreneurs. And if they're anything like me or even towards like the engineer, logical thinkers, doing gratitude exercises and and practicing gratitude just sounds like a waste of time. There's no tangible ROI, but from somebody who made fun of that, I'm a 100% convert because when you practice gratitude, what that means is you're looking for everything to be grateful for. Uh, Like literally everything. I was, there was a woman who was on the cell phone uh, the other day and she thought she was the only person in the world. And she's like yelling in the restaurant. I'm like, geez, I'm just trying to eat some breakfast. And like, I'm a part of her conversation. I was so annoyed by her. And then I was like, I'm going to force myself to find something to be grateful for. And she was wearing some red bottom shoes. My, those are my wife's favorite. And I'm a fan too. So I was like, all right, she's got great shoes on. She's got great style. And I noticed she has the exact same purse my wife had. And so I was like, okay, I like her style. 
Um, and then I listened to the conversation she was having and she was proud of her child. And I was like, okay, she's loud and obnoxious and should take this outside. But what she's saying, she's proud of. And so I forced myself to be grateful and she didn't annoy me anymore. So that's that. Um, also seven awesome. delayed flights a few days ago. Yeah, and he yeah. like texts me, at least I'm not landing at 3 a.m., but I'm landing at like one. I was like, who is this guy? Like, yeah, I was supposed was, to land yes. at 6.15. I got there at 1, 16 a.m., so literally super late. And uh, yeah, I was like, hey, at least I got here and I'm not sleeping in an airport. So it just changes your life. But yep. what Sonia said earlier that I thought was gold was she talked about her parents with that immigrant mindset of each working two jobs plus going to school and how she uh, absorbed that mindset. And when I met her, she was going to school for 18 credits, which is more than full-time. She was working at the police department in homicide. And on the weekend, she was bartending to be able to pay her bills. Uh, one night, Monday night, and then Friday and Saturday night at, at the restaurant where that's where we were connected. And so what's interesting about that is not to be rude to her, but she was just getting by financially, right? She was doing well compared to a lot of her girlfriends, but uh, the homicide at the police department was unpaid. That was required for her to get her criminal justice degree. So she would work there for free. And really her only income was the three nights at her restaurant, which was a high-end restaurant. So she'd make, you know, 500 bucks in tips or whatever. So she was doing okay. But here's the point. She worked so hard and was just getting by. She then took that same mindset and work ethic and applied it to business and being an entrepreneur. And it generates seven figures. So there's a lot of people that say good old fashioned hard work is the key to success. And I disagree. Uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I saw our gardener this morning putting out fly traps or whatever it is for our fruit trees or the fruit tree. Yeah. And that guy works so hard, especially in the summer, man. Sonny and I like literally want to tell him to stop working because it's 90 degrees outside and he's cutting our hedges and all that. That guy works physically harder than probably anyone else I know. And I'll bet he's not netting six figures a year. He might not even be making 50,000 a year. I have no idea how many clients besides me he has. So just working hard for working hard's sake isn't good enough. When Sonia was going to school for 18 credits, working at the police department for free, and then bartending three nights a week, she was working harder than any human in my life, but was just getting by. She took that same work ethic, reapplied it, and now she's running a seven-figure business. And so I think it's important that people contextually think that you should be very proud of a hard day's work, but you should also audit the work you're doing, how much of it was actual income generating activity versus just working hard for working hard's sake. And keep in mind that Hard work and good work ethic is required in business, but just working hard won't make you successful. You want to figure out what it is you should be doing. So when she was talking about, you know, that we moved on to a, to a new subject, but I wanted to really emphasize that the reason that Sonia is successful and is running her businesses and starting her own, um, and she runs Thrive. Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of the promo stuff and I'm the guy that dances around on stage, but it only exists because of her and it's a seven figure business. And the only reason that it works like that is because she figured out how to take her work ethic of 18 credits in school, police department, and being a bartender, reallocated it into the entrepreneurial space, delegates things that she shouldn't be doing, owns things that she should, and generates seven figures now instead of tips on a nightly basis. So I think that that's important for your audience too, to kind of audit where they're spending their time. And just because you're working hard does not mean that you will be a success. You need to be working hard in things that actually generate an ROI that is what it is you're looking for. So when she, when she said that earlier, I want to make sure gold. the gold. Yeah, no, that is absolutely gold. I think a lot of people think that. There's a lot of people saying it's hard work, it's hard work, it's hard work, but you know, hard work in the wrong direction, right? It's 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 like if there's two holes and guys are just digging and just digging, just digging, and the one guy knows exactly where the gold is, you can work just as hard, but he's gonna get to the gold much faster. And obviously you've shifted that. And let's kind of talk about you, Sonny, because I watched a interview with you and I heard you talking about you had some fear. So some fear of being judged maybe some fear of not being worth it um, not being able to help the people why should people listen to me and i think a lot of people who are out there trying to impact the world they really want to but they have this fear that they're not good enough or that you know what happened to them in their past is going to affect how they're going to you know go ahead and, and present themselves in the future so talk to me about that fear and kind of some tactics that you put in place to overcome them well, I definitely have to put myself in the situation to overcome my fears. So for example, right now, like podcasts, I'm definitely not a fan of doing these because they frighten me. I like, do I know what to say? Am I going to help people if they listen to this? I just want to make sure that I can give people the value. And so I've learned that 
you know, you can't just get out of your comfort zone and just do it once. That's not going to really do anything. But if I continually do this, I'll get better and better. And even Cole's noticed that before I would probably be freaking out. I would be like, what am I going to do right now? I got to run to the bathroom. Oh my gosh, I need this. I need to fix my hair. And now I've definitely gotten more comfortable doing these podcasts where I can talk to you. I'm still nervous, but I've learned to kind of control it just over time, just with practice and practice. Um, and I think that's important too. Like what she said, getting outside your comfort zone once isn't necessarily going to do it. Like she has to practice being outside her comfort zone. I think that's big. It's huge. huge. Yeah, First so step to success. I wear yeah. it on my wrist. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's the truth. So you just like, I always challenge myself now. And I think that I've grown by doing that and getting over fears that I've had by putting like, um, I did a fitness competition. Uh, it was on my bucket list and I was scared to be on stage. So I just, I, I did it. And now I, um, have a fear of, I'm doing a, a beauty pageant because back in the day I kind of blacked out on stage and I couldn't do the interview. And it's always been in the back of my mind. Like, how did I let that happen? What, like, how can I overcome this and not think about it anymore? So maybe when I'm on stage again in front of others, it won't happen. So I decided to do a beauty pageant. It's coming up. Um, I'm super nervous about yeah. it because they don't want the same thing to happen. But like I said, if I challenge myself and I continually put myself in that position, it'll get easier and easier. And then I won't be so scared. And, and just to let you know, it's going to be fine. Right, Cole? It'll be fine. <laughs> well, she she joined her fitness contest and got first place. And like three of the girls she competed against were actual pros. So uh, this competition is for Mrs. California. And uh, she joined the running late. It's in three weeks. But uh, if anyone can come in first place with only three weeks of prep, it's this one. So we'll see. It's a different <laughs> dynamic than the fitness contest was. But uh, it was really cool to see her coming against women that it was their 70th show and they were like paid by sponsors to do nothing other than have abs. And here's my wifey of two children, entrepreneur who just in that one, she had still 80. nursing. Yeah. Yeah. She was still breastfeeding too. So not to gross out your listeners, but, <laughs> but uh, she couldn't take any supplements. So, so although it's a natural show, natural just means not taking steroids, but they still take crazy fat burners and all types of diuretics and things to look better on stage. Sonny just literally had to work. She couldn't take any type of supplement at all because she was breastfeeding. So truly, truly natural. 88 days on that one, got first place, freaking smoked the pros. It was awesome. And then uh, she, the one thing she didn't say about that previous beauty pageant was when she was like six or seven or eight or nine or something like that. So this wasn't a couple of years ago. Yeah. And it's, it's been haunting her since childhood that uh, her parents on a whim, her cousin was in it and the aunts were like, put Sonny in. So her parents were like, okay, and shoved her out on stage no prep, not even knowing what it was. And she froze up and freaked out and it's been haunting her her whole life. She's talked about that a thousand times. And so she's, uh, you know, she almost feels, I don't want to say embarrassed, but whenever she's like, I'm doing a beauty pageant, she feels like it sounds very superficial. No, very embarrassed. Yeah. Cause no, it does. It sounds superficial. But she is facing her demons from her past. And so, uh, this, you know, the fitness contest was number one. This is literally the thing that in childhood, again, not knocking her parents, but to just shove her out there without even letting her know what it was. And they start interviewing her and quizzing her. She just froze up, didn't answer and ran off stage crying. Like <laughs> imagine seeing that on American Idol or something. Where <laughs> you're getting asked questions and then start crying and run off stage. And so she has remembered that for the last, what, 24 years yeah. of life. So this is her redemption on that. And so, so this time I'm prepared. This time oh, I know yeah, what's happening. For three weeks that is. But, but at least I know what's, <laughs> I am anticipating it and I know what's coming and I, I'm going to be prepared. <laughs> Absolutely. I, and I love that. And I, do you think that for everybody listening, that it's the winning part that matters? Or do you think it's just that overcoming the fear because what it'll do in every other area of your life? It was obviously it's fun to win, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But when I decided to do that fitness competition, it was for me um, to grow. And then when I saw my daughter looking mm. at me and she was just like, mommy, what are you doing? You're doing a competition. Like you've got this, you're going to win. And when I just saw that I was impacting her and she saw, Hey, mommy's not like comfortable with this, but she's doing it. And she saw me going every day to the gym. She saw me eating healthy. She's eating her pizza. She's like, mommy wants some. I'm like, mommy can't cause mommy's got to get muscles, you know? And she just like support me and want to work out and be with us. So she saw the fitness aspect and like she loves 
doing activities and working out. So I love that she saw me grow in that spot, but she also saw that mommy was scared and mommy did it. And so we've taught our daughters that we're hatters and we never give up. And so when our daughter decides to go do something, she'll be like, I can't. And then she just like snaps out of it. And she's like, I'm a hatter. I never give up. And she's like, I'm extraordinary and I'm fearless. So it's like your mind is such a big thing. Going back to the woo woo is just like, I, I really could not believe how I like the more affirmations I gave myself that I can do this. And I had pictures of myself on a stage. I like Photoshopped myself on a stage in my bathing suit and I mentally prepared myself for that moment. So visualizing myself winning and being there and feeling confident, that was a huge thing that I didn't believe in before. And now I'm like, it really does work. That's, that's two things you you hit on. One thing is guys, if you're listening to this, realize when you go after your fear, when you, when you go for it, you don't understand whose life you're going to impact besides your own. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, like you said, there's so many eyes on you that we don't even realize. And number two is the, the visualize it. I'm a huge believer in law of attraction, another woo woo thing. Um, but, you know, we weren't able to have kids for nine years and decided to do a vision board and really, truly manifest the baby. And we went through many trials and tribulations. And um, I dedicated myself to believing in it and visualizing it. Um, and, and, you know, here we are today with our daughter turning two in a month. So Aww, that's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, there's a whole story behind it. And, and I truly believe that the, visual, the, the visualizing it really helped, but not just visualizing it, truly believing in it. Right, mm-hmm. guys? I think that's it. It's like 100%. even that's gratitude. It's yeah. like, don't check the box off because successful people do it. Just because Conor McGregor and, you know, um, well, Oprah Winfrey and all these amazing people went ahead and did vision boards. You know, it worked for them. Don't do it because they said it worked for them. Do it, believe it, see it, feel it, smell it. Um, and it's a, it's a game changer. So I appreciate um, you getting on that stage, not just for you, but every girl that has a fear of putting herself out there and understanding that you're putting yourself out there, not just for you, but the whole tribe of women that want to go ahead and actually take control of their life because that's what you're doing. So I applaud you for that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, there is. There's so many men and women that wrote me like you inspired me to get back in the gym or, you know, just I've I've lost like 30 pounds because of you, Sonia. And when I go run and I'll like post it on my story, I'll have people that say, you know, because you ran today, it inspired me to run. And it's just crazy how I never thought that I'd be impacting people by just doing what I do. And just us sharing our lives has helped others. So we just keep doing it. I think it's cool. And, and, and to that point, I think a, a big problem nowadays is that we're always worried about what other people think, right? And that's probably not a big part that. of your fear, Sonia. And Cole, even, I mean, you may not feel that way. <laughs> She's pointing <laughs> to you. But I think maybe you did at one point. I don't know. But what would you tell somebody that is super timid and taking massive action because they're scared of being judged, right? They're scared of other people are going to think of them. What kind of suggestions, tactics can you guys give them besides the old stop giving a shit about what other people think? Like what's some true tangible things that they could put into their life to truly get over that fear, quote unquote? I was just with, we were just at an event in Las Vegas and I met a woman named Teddy Mellencamp and she, I was talking to her, she's, she's on a show called Beverly Hills Housewives and I was like, man, how do you, how do you do that show? Like there's so much stuff that happens. It's like negative and this and that. And she told me, cause she was getting death threats. And I'm like, Sheesh. that's insane. You're getting death threats. Cause you're on a show. Cause you got in a fight with another woman. Like that's crazy. And I was like, why do you still do this? And she said, you know, there's a lot of judgment and I'll have a hundred, hundreds of thousands of women that hate me, but I also have hundreds of thousands of women that I've impacted. And she's like, I always look at the good that outweighs the bad. And when she said that, I was like, that's incredible. Like she's willing to let people judge her and just obviously sometimes it hurts. And she, you know, she's like, you know, certain comments about her kids or her husband will hurt her, but um, she just lets it go and realizes, Hey, that person that's judging me is more hurt they're, they're a hurt, broken person. And so they're choosing to re like do this to me, but I'm helping all these other women. And, um, I was like, that's, that's amazing. So now when I'm going to think about people judging me, I'm going to be like, right back to what Teddy said. I'm like, I'm going to help others. So that's just what I got to look at. Yeah. That's actually, that's a great answer that it does. Yeah. Um, so good. I would say it's probably 
10 to one, just so the world knows 10 people that love you, one that hates you. It's just for whatever reason, the one that's a hater is the one that makes the most noise. I generally think social media is positive. I generally think our world has a lot of really good things going on. It's just the news only highlights the negative because that's what grits ratings. And then that's what we assume mm -hmm. the whole world is about. When somebody goes to the restaurant and doesn't have enough for lunch and the stranger buys their lunch, that doesn't meet the news. That doesn't make the news. But when somebody shoots somebody, it does, right? So, so I think that what Sonia said is so important that, that you're going to have haters if you're doing anything. If you have no haters, then you're absolutely doing nothing. Exactly. That's, that's the first thing. If people aren't uh, against what you're doing and, and vocal about it, then you're literally doing nothing. Like nobody talks smack on the guy that just sits and stares at the wall and does nothing. Um, the, only the people yeah. in history that you hear about are the ones that shook it up. And the ones that did the biggest difference were the ones that were assassinated from freaking back in the days of Jesus all the way through Martin Luther King, JFK, like, the only reason these people were killed, uh, Abraham Lincoln, because he was abolishing slavery, like the only time that someone hated so much that they actually took that person's life is because that person was making massive change that they weren't comfortable with, like ending slavery, things like that. So the point is you will have so few haters compared to the ones that you're impacting and changing. Sadly, the haters are the ones that take the time to make noise about it. Um, as far as my answer to that, uh, I think Sonic had a better answer than, than me. That was freaking huge. What, what I do personally, and I don't know how I've been born this way. I've never cared. My mom tells me stories of even childhood of just literally not caring what anybody thinks. That's a, a good power of mine. I think here's the way that it comes from, though. I've never seen someone more successful than me talk crap on what I'm doing. So, number one, the only people that criticize me are the ones that are nowhere near where I'm at in my journey. Nobody that I admire or look up to takes the time to talk crap on me. So there's a fine line of I always just listen to where it's coming from and make a decision, a judgment call. Like the person that says that I should be a better husband, but has been divorced five times. I don't care what you think. Or my father, who's been married to my mom for 46 years together, 51. If he pulled me aside and said, hey, you should be a better husband then I would listen because not only is it my father, here's someone who's been faithfully married to his wife 46 years together, 51. So I always would just add what my wife said is you're going to have haters no matter what. Just know that there are people you're impacting. And I would say 10 times more being impacted than the haters that are talking. But I would also just remind people, listen to who's talking. If, you know, Bob, uh, Bob baseball, one, two, three in freaking Tulsa, Oklahoma says that you look fat. Who cares? The dude's, got his hand in his pants in his mom's basement at 46 years old using a computer that he's borrowing because he can't even afford it anyway. Like who cares that he thinks you look fat in that dress? This dude's at freaking his mom's basement in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Like, so, so I, I think I'm just avatar. You put some thought into that avatar, man. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Like, so just, I just, I just am very cognizant of where it's coming from. And so it's a fine line to not discard what everybody says, because if it's somebody speaking yeah. truth in my life, like if my father's like, Cole, I've seen some stuff and you need to take your wife on more dates or whatever he would say. I mean, we haven't had that talk, but if, if my dad needed to have a conversation about being a husband, that would be advice I would listen to. And so it's a fine line of knowing who is pouring love into your life and who's just hating. And I think I'm just really good at being like, why, no given. Yeah, why <laughs> the hell would I care what some wanker on the freaking South Africa who I'll never meet in my life, who can't even use, proper English is talking crap. Like this one guy says I'm running a pyramid scheme because we're selling tickets to thrive. And he says that I'm the biggest Pharaoh there ever was because I'm building the, I'm building the biggest pyramid because I'm selling tickets to thrive. And I'm like, okay, if I was selling multi-level marketing products, a lot of people refer to that as a pyramid scheme. I'm selling tickets to a three-day conference and I'm building a pyramid. Like, I'm just like, I wanted to write that guy be like, you are a complete moron, but I'm just like, dude, like, God bless you. You need help. I'm just, I just he has care. written back haters online oh, and I'm then they become best, best friends. friends. I always make them my best friend. <laughs> That's awesome. Man. They're, they're, the phrase is there's, they're haters until they need a job, right? Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Said, yeah. Yeah, keep hustling until your haters ask if you're hiring. Yep. So you, you are putting Thrive on. You talked about it. And by the way, if it is a pyramid scheme, I'm part of it because I'm going. <laughs> so, jump aboard Not pyramid yet. scheme. We're here. <laughs> Tell everybody what Thrive is, guys. Really why you started it, the mission behind it, um, and what this event coming up at the end of May looks like. This event started because this guy right here on our honeymoon, I asked him in Rome, hey, babe, if there was anything you could do 
money wasn't an issue, what would you do? And he's like, I would throw an event like Tony Robbins where I can inspire people, but I also want to give them business advice and help them grow. I want to mix it all together and also have people learn how to make their money matter. Because when I met him, he was, he had done missions trips forever and his he was constantly helping people. He's like, Hey, what do you want to do today? Let's uh, make some sandwiches and go take it to the homeless people. I'm like, is this guy for real? Like, or is he just really trying to date me and you know, look at all how nice I am. He's like, look how nice I am. Like, this is what I do in my spare time. But then he took me down there and the homeless people knew his name. And I was like, Oh my gosh, he really does do this. Like, this is crazy. All right. And so I loved his heart. And when he talked about doing an event like that, and not have it a pitch fest because apparently every type of seminar that you go to, they're always like sell, sell, sell. And I understand the model because that's how you recuperate your costs. But he's like, nope, I really genuinely want to help people, give them all this information, teach them how to make an impact in this world. And so one year he decided to go for it and he totally crushed it. I couldn't even believe it by himself. Like, it was a lot of work and I can't believe that he pulled it off. Um, I mean, I can actually, um, this guy was just like grinding till 2am every day and then up at five and he's like, I'm going to make this event happen. Everyone says I can't, I'm going to do it. And we lost a whole lot of money. Yeah. 274,000. <laughs> that stung really bad. But then he's like, mm-hmm. we're going to do it again next year. We're going to do it even better. I'm like, Ooh, okay. And so no one could get a hold of him trying to answer any of his emails. He just like nonstop people were asking him to speak. People were asking him like, Hey, what are you going to do here? And the venue, this and blah, blah, blah. So he kind of stopped answering all the questions. And then people started asking me, Hey, I'm trying to get a hold of your husband. And I was like, okay. So I'd ask him a couple questions and then he'd answer them. I'd get back to him. They're like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And then more questions started coming into me. I was like, okay, all right, I guess I'm going to start like helping him out. So I'd write all the questions down on my big yellow notepad. And then when he was in the shower or going to the bathroom, I literally like followed him, answered all the questions, get, I would get back to all the people and I kind of became his assistant. And then, and then we realized she's way better as an operator than I am and realized pretty darn quickly that I needed to work for her. So (laughs) thrive number two, it was thrive. Number one, like she said, was all me. Thrive number two was probably like 70% me, 30% her. Thrive number three was probably like 50-50. And then this last Thrive we had in Vegas, like I was asking her like, hey, what about this? What about this? And now this Thrive, she's running the whole company. So um, that was really wow. cool to, to see her. Uh, literally, she told the story perfectly. It was just because people couldn't get answers from me. So she started saying, okay, I'll follow him around. And when he's <laughs> sitting on the toilet or in the shower, I'll ask him questions and get to now she's literally running the show. Like when it comes to Thrive, I work for her. Um, it's, it's my vision. Uh, it's, it, it's, you are thrive. It, it still feels the same, but the fact that it actually happens is heard. So he just doesn't like logistics. And so just getting the speakers there on a plane, it's just everything, dude, she's just good. So you gotta have, so two, you gotta have a two headed monster when doing something like that. You have to have the yeah. visionary. You gotta have somebody that likes all the numbers. You can't totally. Yeah. And when I did it, we lost money and when she did it, we don't. So that's, that's better. But, yep. um, but so anyway, so that's it. I think the original question is just what is it? So like she said, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a three-day business conference to teach entrepreneurs how to not just make money, but make money matter. Uh, what makes us unique is not only do we have the best speakers ever in one room, ever, every single one of our individual speakers could be the headlining keynote. They just all are there together. Uh, but we teach people how to have four purpose businesses where they don't just make money, they make it matter by connecting their business to some type of a cause or purpose that's in alignment with them. I don't tell them where to put their money. Each of us have things you might care about the rainforest. She might care about animals. I might care about um, uh, pollution in our environment, whatever it is, right? So just the things that, that matter to you, you align your company with so that one of the key metrics as you're doing your quarterly audits of your business isn't just what was our ad spend? What was our revenue? What was our blah, blah, blah? And what was our impact? How many more lives or how much more of this cause do we impact this quarter compared to last quarter? And what are our goals for the next quarter? And so because we are what we call purpose-driven entrepreneurs and we run four purpose organizations, the type of attendee we attract are people that think the same. That's one of the reasons I get so much hate online. They're like, let me get this straight. You want me to pay you to go to your event where I'm then going to learn to give money away? You're an idiot. It's like, (laughs) cool. Thank you for not coming because you would have ruined the event. Uh, But the people that do show up are the ones that are like, hey, I want to unapologetically and guilt-free live in a mansion and drive a Ferrari or whatever it is 
because that's such a fraction of my income compared to the impact I'm making. I don't, I don't, this is all hypothetical, but I don't feel guilty that I just bought myself a Ferrari because last year I built five schools with pencils of promise. And so I can have my wealth, but instead of it owning me, I own it. And I'm going to use my resources to impact the world in a positive change. Because when we die, no one's going to talk about our cars, houses, or vacations. They're only going to talk about the meaningful impacts we made in their lives with the time and resources we had available. So Thrive exists to give people more time, or not more time, but more resources with the time they have so they can make a greater impact with their lives. Man, I cannot wait to go. <laughs> guys, yeah, if you guys aren't already having your ticket yet, we need to tell them where they can get it first off um, and tell them a few of the names of the speakers that are going to be there. So you can go to attendthrive.com. That's the website. Attend like I'm going. Attendthrive.com. Um, and uh, some of the speakers that – so we've only announced half of them. So as of right now, uh, what is it? Eric Thomas, uh, hip-hop preacher Eric Thomas. We're bringing him back. He was there last year. He's the number one requested speaker again. So we brought him back. Um, and he's a, he's a business partner of ours now. Uh, Andy Frisella. If you follow Andy Frisella, he's a massive influencer with the MFCO project. Um, Lisa Bilyeu, yeah, Tom Bilyeu's um, wife. She's got women of impact. We we have so many. You have to just go to our site. Yeah, check I'm them actually out. going to the site right now, so I can actually remember them all that we've announced so far. You guys have uh, Karen, Naveen right? Jane, yeah. a good friend of ours. Naveen Jane uh, was worth eight billion for, uh, as a tech entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, it doesn't suck. Uh, Dan Fleischman. Uh, who else we have here? Oh, Dave Meltzer. Uh, so David Meltzer's coming and speaking. Uh, Charlie Rock, Charlie, Charlie Rocket. Rocket. Yeah, he's, he's blowing up right now. Yeah. Trent Shelton, uh, we announced he was an NFL player. Now he's a massive influencer. And one of his videos has like 16 million views yeah. in like five days of posting Crazy. it. Billy Jean, our boy, Bill, Billy Jean, Emily Frisella. There's a lot of people coming. Yeah. And um, we'll have about 20 speakers. We normally have 26. Uh, but some of the feedback I've gotten and I listen is it's too short because some of the speakers only speak, th they, they either speak 30, 40, or 50 minutes. And, and now it's going to be either 45 or 65 minutes. And so we're getting, nice. I, don't, I shouldn't say we're getting rid of, we're, we're shortening this, the lineup by about six speakers to give the remaining 20 more time. So uh, I heard your requests, Thrive Tribe, and we've, we've made the adjustment. So each speaker will go longer this year. But so, yeah, if they want to come, they should. And it's uh, attendthrive.com. And then, uh, dude, I'm going to make a special promo code for your audience. So what's a three-digit What's a three-digit code that means something to you and your audience? Uh, let's see. T-Y-U. The ultimate you. T-Y-U. There we go. All right. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait the, no. That'd be T-U-Y. Yeah, T-U-Y. That'd be T-U-Y. Yeah. T-U-Y, the ultimate you. Whatever. Yeah, you know what I meant. <laughs> the yeah. ultimate you. And it doesn't have to be three letters. I, I just think I need pen to paper again. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so the ultimate you. All right, so for any of you that want to grab a ticket, when you're in checkout, press T-U-Y. And it's not live yet, but by the time you're hearing this episode, it will be. And that will save you a few bucks um, because, uh, you know, we appreciate you guys coming out. I appreciate you guys. And look, guys, the speakers itself is one thing, but the networking is usually where the most gold come from. So, I mean, when you sit in there with guys that are like-minded and girls that are like-minded, the only way to become a giant in any industry that you're in is to stand on each other's shoulders. So not oh. only the speakers, but the, the, the community, I think that's the biggest push. The community of Thrive is so much more powerful than just the people on stage, right? It's everybody coming together. And, and that's why I wanted you guys on here. Now, Sonia, I know you have to go, but I have one last question for you guys. And this is for anybody that hasn't been taking notes. I need three things that are actionable that people could implement and on immediately to be better today than they were yesterday. Now you guys can go back and forth. You can do your own three, but three actionable things that they can implement immediately to truly start that ultimate version themselves. I'll go I'm first. My notes yeah, down. I'll go first because then I can go. Okay. Um, She's, and by the way, we got number love for John. We just have to pick up the daughter. Yeah. So that's why we got to go. Um, <laughs> I, I say the first thing would be to challenge yourself. Um, I've grown the most by challenging myself and the best way for me to do it is by making it public. Um, I have people holding me accountable to it and I just make sure that I follow through. The more I say it, the more I have to do it. And yeah. And then I have a deadline. So if I give myself a deadline, I can't move, then I'm going to do it. For example, my fitness competition or my beauty pageant. It's I made it known to the public. 
I am challenging myself by doing this and um, there's a deadline. So I have to make it happen. When people are like, I'm going to lose weight before I, I, I need to lose 10 pounds. Nobody kind of does it. But if you say it online and you say, I have to do it by this vacation, then you're more inclined to do it. So it's just, that's how I've reached my goals. I love the part about public accountability. People are scared shitless to do it publicly because they know what that means for them internally. You gotta follow through. You people judging us, right? Because you don't let people judge us. So how are we gonna do it publicly? I appreciate those. Those three things are so simple. And I think success, you guys could agree, is simple, but it's hard, right? Mm -hmm. It's simple, but it's hard. Doing these things aren't, um, aren't easy to put ourselves out there. And I appreciate that. Public accountability is probably the biggest thing I took away from that because everybody needs to do more of it. Um, and, and watch what happens. You want to go? Yeah. Yeah, she'll run. Uh, Thanks, I John. Got, I got some too. I'm <laughs> going to shoot out to the But so, <laughs> let me, babe, see in a minute. So what I would say, let me scoot over into the driver's seat now. Um, but just to reiterate what she said too, one of the reasons that her, for the audience to actually get results is she couldn't change. She's, she said a date. She couldn't change the date for her fitness contest. So how many of us listening to this right now say, I'm going to lose 10 pounds in 30 days? But then eight days later, you're like, oh, 30 days from now. And then two months go by and you're like, all right, 30 days from now. And then another month goes by, you're like, screw it. Next year is New Year's resolution. The fact about her mm -hmm. fitness contest is she publicly announced that she was doing it and the date was July 15th and there was nothing she could do about it. It's a full-blown event where hundreds of other athletes are coming to compete. She couldn't ask for one extra day, nothing. And so if there's a way for you to have – public accountability with a deadline that you can't manipulate is what forced her mm -hmm. to push herself beyond the way that she ever would have. Cause it was 88 days. She couldn't say, give me a hundred. It was 88 days. And so that's why she spent three hours in the gym for 88 straight days. Um, so for mine uh, that somebody can do right away, I would say is audit your busyness. And I find so many people work eight hours a day. This is kind of what I was talking about with what Sonia shared earlier. They work really hard and they work eight hours a day, but it wasn't income generating activity. It was busy work. And a lot of people just check boxes. Oh, answered all my emails today. Oh, answered all my texts today. Oh, scheduled my chiropractic appointment today. Oh, scheduled my uh, at the DMV to get my new driver's license today. And hey, that's all stuff that needed to be done, but not one of those things made you money. I mean, maybe some of the emails you responded to could result in money. But so, so many people just want to check boxes to pat themselves on the back so that when they crack the beer at six o'clock and turn on ESPN or whatever it is that they're watching in the evening, that uh, they can feel like they had a productive day. But how much of what you're doing actually makes money? So the first thing I would say is people should start auditing their activity and saying, is what I'm doing just busy work that I might be able to outsource or consolidate and how much of it is actually income generating activity. Okay. So that would be the first thing. The second thing I would say that people need to get good at is get good at sales. Uh, we have a potential upcoming change in economy. Uh, you know, this is not to get on any political agenda or whatever that is, but uh, our economy works in cycles. And if you've been paying attention, it goes up and down and always will. It doesn't matter who's in office. So that being said, uh, we've had the second longest upswing right now in American history. Things have been prosperous for the longest period of time ever. There's only one time longer, the second longest ever. So we're due for a change. And so one thing that's going to be super important is to have skill sets that are transferable. Uh, people ask me all the time, Cole, if you lost everything, literally everything, and you were bankrupt tomorrow, what would you do first to start over? And I have no shame in admitting, even though I am an entrepreneur and run my own business, if I lost everything today and had to start from scratch tomorrow, I would call you, John, and say, can I sell your coaching programs for you? I would call somebody immediately that I knew that I could trust that has high ticket items and I'd start selling. I wouldn't, ha I wouldn't start a company. If I lost everything today, I got mouths to feed. I got a wife and children and there's a startup phase of a business. So I would have no ego and I would go work for somebody else selling their stuff. So the second thing I would tell people is get gangster at sales because if you can sell anything, obviously then you audit. I wouldn't sell your stuff, John, if it wasn't legit. I wouldn't sell you know, drugs on the corner either. But if you are good at sales, there's always an opportunity to sell something for somebody else. So that would be something I would work on is triple down on sales. And then the last thing I would say on the, on the back of what I just talked about, about the change in the economy is I would financially audit what you're spending your money on and see where you might be able to lower overhead. Uh, one of the number one reasons why people fail in a recession isn't their business becomes uh, not profitable. It just, it doesn't sustain their lifestyle anymore. And so now is the time, not when it's too late. To, to maybe, you know, give up the country club membership that you're paying $1,000 a month for and go twice a year. 
maybe now is the time to start getting rid of those bills that's not going to completely impact your life, like selling your house and moving on the streets. But maybe right now is the time to say, where can you trim some of the fat? Because if your business takes a 30% cut in revenue, uh, but your lifestyle you've cut by 50%, you're going to make it. It's when people get a 30% cut in revenue and have the same overhead that they become insolvent. So, uh, I'm not saying fire all your staff, move out of your house and live out of a car, but I am saying, what are you spending money on? You'd be surprised. Uh, that's not necessary and start getting rid of that stuff now because if we do get in uh, a correction, recession, depression, whatever's coming and, and we're due for one. I mean, if you've been following Gary V, he talks about it nonstop right now. So, it's coming. Uh, not that he's an economist, but it's not just me making this noise. Uh, I would start getting yeah. rid of some overhead. I don't know if that's what type of tips you were looking for, but that might be the most helpful piece of advice because if your business does make a little bit less money, but you've dramatically decreased your overhead, then you'll make it. And then on the next upswing, two to three years from now, uh, you're lean, you're mean, you made it, and now you freaking ball hard. Man, no, those are gold, man. Are you kidding me? Those, cool. I mean, the, the audit, audit your activity. And, and, and I talk about busyness and focus all the time. Like, are you busy or are you truly focused, right? Like, so I, I love that. And you talked about sales. Now, I'm a big sales guy. You know, I've, I've run sales companies. I'm so curious, what is your number one tip? I know there's probably a lot, but if you're like, man, here's the one thing that you could do, anybody listening to increase their sales conversion, what is it? Um, it's a, that does it so dumb, but you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So the best salespeople listen the best. Uh, you're listening to um, their buying motives. You're listening to their objections. You're just letting them speak. And the more, this is, this is a, let me think if I can think of a different way of saying this. This is kind of violent, but you're giving them the rope, right, to hang themselves with in the sense that, it's, I don't, that that's the wrong terminology to use now. We but get it though, yeah. Yeah, the more that people speak, the more tie downs they're giving you, you know, the more that they're talking about their source of pain, whether you're a coach like you are or a fitness coach and they're talking about how they're exhausted and now their whole family, you know, has diabetes in their history, just whatever it is. Like the more you listen to them, the more substance, the more uh, – meet you now have to get your sales. So the easiest thing, I mean, we could talk sales for a whole nother hour podcast, but the easiest thing yeah, to start doing might. immediately is to just shut up. Um, and then especially once you get the sale, I see people get the sale and then talk them out of the sale because they were like nervous to ask for the money and they just kept talking their mouth. And then uh, they say something that creates a new objection and now they just lost the sale. So listen more and then shut up. Uh, the, better, the best salespeople listen the best, say the least. And then with whatever their person they're selling their product or service to has said, they use those as the reasons why they're going to want to move forward and buy. That's it. Preach it, brother. Preach it. How does somebody go ahead and get them to talk more? That's, that's the last question I want to ask you on that. So you're going to want to learn how to do what are called discovery questions. And, uh, you know, asking why three times is super huge. So if somebody says, you know, Woo! I want a new car. Well, why do you want a new car? Well, because my wife's pregnant. Okay, is this your first child? Yes, okay. Uh, you know, what? and you just start asking questions about it. And uh, you were about to try to close that guy hard on the Mustang. But because you asked a question, you realize after asking why three or four times, it's about his future child's safety. So now you walk him over to the Volvo or whatever the most safe car is on the on the lot and you say, listen, man, John, hearing you having your two-year-old and that you and your daughter or you and your wife worked so hard to have this child and that that's your dominant buying motive. I wouldn't say that, but that's your dominant buying motive for a car. Uh, I'm going to recommend this one right here because it has a highest safety feature, blah, blah, blah. If I was like, come over here to this Mustang because bro, you can have the tops down. The ladies love that. Like I ask you no questions. I know nothing about you. I just see a good looking younger guy. And I'm like, Hey, uh, the tops down, the ladies are going to love this. This thing goes fast. You can drift on off ramps, blah, blah. You'd be like, Holy crap, man. It's like, Oh wait, you're not interested in the ladies cause you're very married and very committed. And it's safety for your child, your two year old that you're here for. Cool. Now I have enough, uh, stuff to know how to sell you on the right car and not be selling you the wrong thing. So again, the best way to get them talking is to ask discovery questions. Why are you here? Who are you buying the car for? What are your biggest you know, pain points in your life or business? And then aligning your product or service with it. Man, you are talking my language. Three wise, deep discovery questions. And I tell every single person listening to this, and I'll continually tell everybody, your income, if you're a salesman, your income is directly proportionate to the quality of questions you ask your clients. And this man right here who um, is pretty damn good at sales is just reinforcing what I tell everybody. And because of that, maybe they'll freaking listen this time, right? Like it's like kids, how they don't listen 
to their parents. Oh, this happens to my wife. She tells me something a thousand times and somebody else says, I'm like, brilliant. She's like, are you kidding me? I've been saying this for six months. <laughs> yes, yes, man. Thank you so much. That was absolutely gold. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find Sonia. Uh, so I'm just Cole Hatter. Uh, so at Cole Hatter on everything, no dots, no underscores, no, none of that. Uh, and Sonia's at Sonia Hatter. She's S-A-N-J-A. Nobody ever knows how to spell it. So S-A-N-J-A Hatter, H-A-T-T-E-R. That's wifey. No dots, no underscores, no nothing. And then I'm Cole, C-O-L-E Hatter. Uh, that's us on social media. And then again, the big thing is just uh, if growing your business, being surrounded by a bunch of badass humans sounds good, come out to thrive. It's May 31st through June 2nd in Vegas. Who doesn't want to go to Vegas for a weekend anyway, much less surrounded by millionaires, billionaires, and a 1,500 amazing souls. So uh, yeah, go to attendthrive.com, grab your tickets, and use T-U-Y at checkout to save a few bucks. That's the best thing ever. Perfect, guys. At 10thrive.com, go check it out. Follow Cole, follow Sonia. Make sure you guys creep on them, see what they're doing. Cole, before we get off here, any last words of wisdom? Any more bombs you want to drop on these guys? Yeah, uh, your net worth has nothing to do with your human worth. Having more money doesn't make you a better person, but it does give you more options. So I encourage everybody out there to take the lessons you just learned and apply them to have the most profitable year of your life, not because you're better, but because you now have more options to make a bigger impact. People say money changes you. I disagree. I say money def- uh, money exposes you. And so if you're a dick and you get richer, you're just going to be a really big dickhead. But if you believe that you're a good human and I help you make an extra million dollars a year, you're going to have a million more ways to make a bigger impact. So my parting words of advice, although human worth has nothing to do with your net worth and vice versa, I encourage you to get as rich as you can and make as big of an impact as you can. Peace. Yeah, buddy. Awesome, guys. Please do me a favor. Like and subscribe to this podcast. Also, please write a review about something Cole said that gave you a big aha and it's going to be a game changer for you. And then last but not least, somebody that needs to hear this or somebody that needs to go to Thrive, you need to go ahead and share this bad boy out or just share Cole or sign his information with that person. Come together as a group, whatever it might be, but make sure you do something that they talked about today. Do something. Put the implementation into your life because information is useless without the implementation. So make sure you guys go ahead, follow me at Real John Marone and make sure you guys keep creating the ultimate version of you and have a phenomenal rest of your day. And we'll see you guys next week.